Hey guys, thanks for listening to The Issue Podcast. Make sure you listen every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also check out our Instagram at the underscore issue podcast and our Twitter at the issue podcast. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, it's the issue. It's Friday, July 10th. We are back and we have a loaded episode for you guys today. A lot of stuff to talk about. And we have an interview with former pitcher Jason Grilly coming up later in the episode. We were able to sit down and talk with him and it was a great interview. And I think you guys will like it a lot. It was great to pick his brain. Got with a lot of experience. He's just a great guy to sit down with, have a good conversation with. Uh, we're super excited about that. We're excited that you guys uh, get to listen in on that. And um yeah, it was just an overall great experience. Can we just share that with you guys? Yep, we got that coming up later in the episode, so make sure you keep listening. Uh, listen all the way through. That should be coming up towards the end. But we got some good stories coming up for you here, even on a slower day in the sports world. But we got stuff to talk about. So I know, Tim, you had a story right off the bat in the NFL, if you want to get us started on that. Yeah, it's just a, I actually have a couple stories real quick, um, but I wanted to hit on this one. There's a I like these lists. There's um on Fox Fox Sports. Um, Daniel Canova wrote it, uh, saying the uh, the all time Mount Rushmore for the NFL, the four best players. Honestly, not a lot of arguments. You got Tom Brady, just the goat. I don't think anyone's gonna. I mean, he he's just so good. Uh, six Super Bowls. I mean, just the the accolades that he's that he's racked up. Four Super Bowl MVPs. And, the way and, and can, also, yeah, yeah, coming out of the, the 199th overall pick, that it's insane. 14-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, to comeback player of the year in 2009. He just he just continues to prove it year in and year out. So not a lot of, not a lot of argument there. You want to talk about the goat of, of receivers and someone who also just did a year in and year out for just so long is Jerry Rice. I mean, the, I mean, 16 seasons with the 49ers alone. Uh, he was just a he was a cornerstone of the league for such a long time. Just racked up the stats. I don't think anyone will ever be close to the majority of his NFL records. Even even though it's becoming more of a passing, I still don't think a lot of people are going to catch him. Um, Lawrence Taylor is third on this list. Uh, probably the best linebacker to ever play. Just absolutely dominant, freak of nature. <laughs> to to put it. Oh, it was, yeah, just, it's just so good. 132 and a half sacks in his career. Number two overall pick in 81. 10-time Pro Bowl, eight-time All-Pro selection. He is just – Dude, read that stat line. It was 132.5 sacks. Yeah, that's oh, what I said, man. It's, oh. He's crazy. He, he's – I mean, I would – you could argue Reggie White. Reggie White's insane. Um, here he was. He was insane. Um, but I just don't think there's a lot of argument there with, with that one. And then Walter Payton, who absolutely – um, just a, just a great, great player and a great man off the field. Uh, you could make an argument for Emmett Smith. I would. Um, just you look at the stats. Almost forty five hundred rushes, um, eighteen thousand yards, one hundred sixty four touchdowns, and you, know, you look at Walter Payton's. Definitely not bad by any stretch. Uh, you're looking at thirty eight hundred rushes, almost seventeen thousand yards, and uh, and one hundred ten touchdowns. So, not the same level as Emmett Smith, but I think the uh, the fact that he is such a he was such a great person off the field. He obviously the Walter Payton Man of the Year named after him. I think that that definitely adds to it. I mean, he is he was great. I'm not taking anything away from him. I think you could just definitely make an argument from Emmett Smith. Yeah, but I also want to I want to get into another story. Um, a big story out of the NCAA football. Um, Big Ten decided that they're just going to only play conference games and that that cancels a lot of big games oregon ohio state was very hyped up i was actually really excited to watch it i like oregon i think um they're up and coming still even though they lose justin herbert and a couple seniors i, I still think they're up and coming recruiting has been great there and then they're going against a powerhouse in ohio state and i think it would be a great test of where that program is i was excited to see it um so that's unfortunate but i think that's where we're heading um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if all the conferences do that. We've already seen Ivy League push it back to even spring. And even then, I think they're still probably going to do just all conference, especially because – It's just the Ivy League. Yeah, especially back, because so. we don't – as of now, they're the only 
teams that are going to do that. So they're not going to have anyone else to play against, which is going to really feel weird. I'm kind of excited to see that because that, that might be weird if that's the only football on and like in the middle spring, of yeah. like spring. That's going to be that's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm here for it. Um, it's going to be weirdly hot, though, don't you think? It'll be, it's uh, going to be weird. It's it, gonna be, it won't be your normal football environment. A lot of cramping, I think. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's going to be like any other like August, you know, game because it's going to be like that level hot. But uh, it's going to be weird. I don't know. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I mean, but, it, it's definitely going to be different. I think it's just going to have to be, you know, maybe this year and possibly next with the way things are going right now, the way things are looking with the virus. Things are going to change, but hopefully get back to normalcy as soon as we can, or at least what the new normal uh, will be, and we'll start to get a picture of what that will look like. Hopefully soon enough, so we can start to you know yeah project out a little bit. Also, with that, with the with the college football and everything, I'm interested to see about recruiting. Oh man, because now these people are these these athletes are getting awarded you know another year of eligibility, so you have more people staying, but you've already offered these these kids coming in. They've already signed and everything like that. So I'm interested. I think you might see some some top, some real good athletes, some three-star, four-stars go to smaller schools that are willing to make room for them as opposed to, you know, the Clemson's who already – they already like their their, their guys. They're not going to – they're going to move off seniors and, and pull scholarships from people for incoming freshmen. So I'm excited. I think they're, they're some of those people might um, end up going to smaller schools. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited – I'm interested, definitely, to see to see how this is all going to transpire. It's never we've never seen this before. I mean, so. one thing you're going to see is the transfer portal is going to start being huge. I mean, especially I with, see that with, as well. with some of the the high school talents that you're going to see coming out that are going to have to choose smaller schools just because of the recruiting kind of backup, almost, if you will. Um, you know, with seniors staying and taking their their extra year, you're going to see some of that. And uh, that's only going to make Juco ball just so much bigger in the, might, in the years yeah. to come. It definitely um, might, especially because people might, if they, if people do end up, you know, the coach says, hey, like, we just don't have a spot for you anymore. Go to Juco, come back, you know, the following year, try to transfer someone the fall, somewhere the following year. So Juco, once all this kind of clears up so that, yeah, it might boom. Juco, D2, D3, everything except for even some smaller Division ones. I think, are going to get a lot more talent here in the years to come. And the transfer portal, like I said, it's going to be huge. And coaches are going to be watching it. Um, so it'll be fun to track some of those guys up through the pipeline and and see what they can do and, and how they're going to fit into these bigger, uh, you know, Power 5 conferences. Yeah. But, Let's, let's pivot over to baseball and over to you. Yeah, I got a, I got some a story from the MLB here. Um, we're looking at sleeper teams to make the 2020 playoffs. Um, you know, in the shortened season, it's definitely going to look a little different, I think, with the playoffs and, and who's getting in based off of who's hot. You know, who can get hot early and, and kind of ride that out for 60 games and things can shake up a little bit. So we're going to run down the list and I'm going to ask for your uh, – your input here on the teams and they have the Cincinnati Reds at number one, um, a 2019 record of 75 and 87. I think they did well in the off season, adding some young talent like Austin Hendrick, even though he might not play or he probably won't play his first year two, mm-hmm. maybe three years. He definitely will be a talent, I think to possibly come up and play in years to come. But um, what do you think about the Reds? I like the addition of, uh, of Nick Cassianos. Got got great power in a uh, in a ballpark that that's small. He can definitely hit it out of there um, consistently. I think he'll be a guy. If you look um, look up at the end of this sixty games, who hits twenty home runs? You know, uh, a home run a series, roughly. Yeah. Um, I, I would not be surprised. I mean, even you know, fifteen home runs in this sixty game season might might lead. You know. Yeah. Might lead the league. So I think. And then you got Trevor Bauer. He's, I think he's a great talent. And then if uh, Aristides uh, Aquino, I, I don't even remember how to say his name, but uh, that the rookie who tore it up last year for the Reds, if he can take another step forward, they're going to be dangerous. Adding Mike Mustak is Nick Senzel's going to take another step forward. So uh, I'm excited to see how they do. Um, although they are in the Pirates division, I wouldn't be wouldn't be upset if they didn't do all that well and the the, the Buckheads took a step up. But uh, they're they're going to be definitely a team to watch. They, they kind of flip their roster a yeah. lot from the last couple of years. So. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Trevor Bauer. As long as he can keep uh, refrain from throwing the ball into center field. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll no. that'll help. 
But uh, number two here, we got the Chicago White Sox. Uh, record last year, 72-89. and 89. Uh, How are you feeling about the Sox? Uh, this is my favorite sleeper team, personally. Eloy Jimenez, Jose Bray is going to always give you that that consistently. Adam Angle is an insane defensive outfielder. James McCann hit. That's all I did last year was just mash. Yeah, make sure you get him on your fantasy team if you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. And then Tim Anderson, I don't think anything else needs to be said. Batting champ consistently. He, he plays the game with so much swagger and, and fun, it seems like. so. And then Yon Moncada, Yasmani Grandal they added. So they got a lot of good pieces. I think they need to sure up uh, the back end of the rotation and then their bullpen a little bit. But you know, Lucas Giolito is going to take another step forward. You got Dallas Keuchel. You never know when Michael Kopech might be ready. So, uh, yeah, they're definitely a good sleeper team, I think. Yep. Uh, number three here, we got the Toronto Blue Jays. Had a record of 67-95. and 95. Um, I mean, I think they have great talent all around on their team. Um, I think they have a lot of young talent, so it's just going to be a matter of them. I, I think they just need time to develop, time to progress in this league. Uh, the MLB, is it's not an easy thing to just come in and take two and especially kind of gel with the players that are around you. So it, a year or two of that, I think they could definitely be a very, very dangerous team, possibly a uh, big-time World Series contender coming up. But um, you like the Blue Jays this year? Yeah, I, I like them. Um, I think they, they could be they could be decent. Um, like you said, I think they're still a couple years away from being a, a legit team. But as a sleeper, I, I don't mind them. They got a young talent. If that young talent impresses, you never know where it could take them. Right. Um, then we're gonna look here at number four. The Angels, uh, 72 and 90 last season. Um, I think they have a great rotation this year. They definitely have one of the better rotations in the MLB. And you have a manager like Joe Madden, you know, that only helps. He's a great manager. We talked about him a little bit last episode and just uh, how he can lead a team and, and keep everybody positive, especially in a season that's weird and strange like this. And Helps to have consistency and right, experience. Right. And I think adding an MVP caliber player in Anthony Rendon, who also has that experience, along with Mike Trout, I think that's going to be mm-hmm. very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to look at number five now, the Texas Rangers, uh, 78-84 and last season. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest Rangers fan here. Um, I don't think they have the most talent position by position. I agree. If you're hanging your hat on Joey Gallo, I mean, yeah, he's going to hit 30-some bombs, but is it worth him hitting 200 and uh, with not that all that much talent around him? I don't know. I don't think so, but huh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be something to watch. Maybe they can slip in. I don't know. It's gonna, They're, they're going to have to come together a lot. Uh, and they were looking here at number six, the San Diego Padres. at uh, 70 and 92 last season. Not the best year. Um, I wish they signed Machado to a insanely large deal, and then he kind of didn't really live up to it all that much. So, yeah, it didn't produce as but much I as really, thought he would. I don't think he's going to continue that. I think he's going to get back to his form. And then Fernando Tatis just lightning in a bottle. I think he's mm-hmm. going to continue to progress. But I think there's a lot of uncertainty in, uh-huh. in uh, San Diego right now. Not the best run organization. Um, but we'll see. I, I don't know. The seven here, they have the, uh, the Miami Marlins uh, last year. Dumpster fire year, 57-105. and 105. Whenever you have triple digits in the loss column, that's not a good year. Um, I, I don't know. I can't believe they're uh, this I, high on the list I above the Rockies. I don't know if this is ranked or if this is just in no specific order, but if this is ranked and they're above the Rockies and uh, even, and the, even the, the Pirates, the Tigers, like just teams that have just frankly more talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if Miami's going to be able to put it together this year. But I, like I said, it'll be something short in season. Really anything can happen. If you can, if you can catch the right groove at the right time, you'll be just fine. You know what? I'm going to call it right now. You said you don't know what can happen. I know what can happen. I, I'm going to tell you right now the Marlins are going to be just as bad win percentage-wise because, you know, you scale it down to yeah. a 60-game season. Win right. percentage-wise, I guarantee that they are just as bad, if not worse, than they were last year. Right. I'll mark that down. Yeah, I will. Might be a cold take on myself. <laughs> yeah, it might be a Luke's ice cold take on Tim's yeah, uh, ice cold take. But anyway, we got uh, at number eight the Detroit Tigers. 
didn't had actually had a worse season last year than the Marlins did at 47 and 114. That's it, just brutal. It was. I think a, they're going to get better though. That's the worst team on this list. Um, on this top 10 list. Um, I don't know. I mean, I still think they're a couple years out and they just drafted Spencer Torkelson. That'll be cool uh, to see him hopefully um, in the coming years, but I just don't think they're ready yet. So I don't know if I would put them on these sleeper teams for 2020. I'd say maybe later, maybe a 2022, 2023, they could have a better shot at a, at a playoff run, but I don't know. Um, Number nine, we got the Colorado Rockies. Uh, not a bad season last year, seventy-one and ninety-one. Uh, you got Nolan Arenado. I mean, Troy Blackman, he, Trevor there, Story. There's a lot of talent on, on this Colorado team, and I, I like them a lot. I do. I think they could I definitely. They're shockingly good. low. I think it hurts that they don't have a great pitching staff, and it's hard to get people out to Colorado to pitch because the ball just flies around the yard there. So I think that that's a detriment to them. Oh, you get to Colorado, and every that's where uh, you know pitchers' ERAs go to die. Um, that is a hundred percent true. You're gonna see it, the thin air up there, and just wreaks, wreaks havoc on those. I mean, you've seen pitchers. Trevor Story; he hit one, mm-hmm. it's like over five hundred feet there, and he's yeah. not. I mean, he's got a lot of power. Don't get me wrong, but, but he doesn't have five hundred. Like plus imagine power if John Carlos Stan hit that ball; that puppy would be six hundred plus. Like, yeah, they just have. It's just hard to get pitchers there, and I think that's their real issue. Um, so, uh, I mean, yes, offensively they are they are solid, definitely offensively, but I just don't think the pitching is where it needs to be yet. Mm-hmm. And at number ten, we got the Kansas City Royals last year with a record of fifty nine and one hundred three. They're in a full rebuild right now. I mean, they dealt the farm, Lustakis, Hosmer. I mean, from that World Series team, there's not a lot left. They have, they do have Salvador Perez, which um, only bright spot. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. And then I just wanted to toss in here, the Pittsburgh Pirates just wanted to get a little coverage of our hometown. They're at number 13 on this list, but I thought I'd throw them up here. Um, they're at the end of the year, 69-93 last year. We're They're struggling with talent all around um, all around the field right now. They We need more money to spend on players, I think, is, is what it comes down to. I think like our best player is Josh Bell, and I would probably guess here in a couple of years he's going to be gone, just because you know they really shouldn't tendency to pay anyone. So no. uh, I bet he probably walks here in the next couple of years. I don't see a lot of a lot of hope in the future here. Brian Reynolds did show us the you know hey, he like, play. So there are there are some guys, but you'll hear it from Jason Gurley later. He said in our interview. People think of the Pirates, and he thought as a pirate of the Pirates as a four A team, um, just you know that next <laughs> that building block team to, to uh, set to players up. Teams, I yeah. mean, you look at uh, you look at a Charlie Morton, you look at a Garrett Cole. They were in Pittsburgh, and they went elsewhere, and now they're Austin Meadows, Austin, Tyler Glass. Yeah. Now it, there's a list a mile long of Pirates that have These gone guys, on. Jose Batista, Barry yeah. Bonds. Um, we just have a history of not paying. on and on. So until we can get that, uh, you know, that ownership fixed, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see too much. Um, I agree. I mean, I'm always going to be a Pirates fan, diehard, you know, for life. But I, I just think there's some changes that need to be made, and yeah. I don't think it's still have to be critical. I don't think it's a hot sure. take saying that. Um, I think pretty much everyone feels that way. I would bet that even some people close to the Pirates probably feel that way as well. It's just – they just got to be willing to spend the money. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. If they spend the money, they're going to get people there to make the money back. People like people in Pittsburgh, as a fan, I can tell you that us fans want to see them spend money and put a good team on the field. I know plenty of people who literally said they're not going to games anymore just because they don't want to spend money if the ownership's not going to spend money. Right. It doesn't make sense for me to go buy a $100 ticket, a good behind – the, like the dugout, um, a nice ticket to go to a baseball game, beautiful park, great concessions, everything. $15 and hot beautiful. dog. And, uh, I'm like not going to go spend that drink. money, my hard-earned money, if they're not going to spend their money and put it back into the team and put a winning product on the field. I think that's the issue right now. Totally agree with that. And uh, we need to stop talking about this before I get upset. So <laughs> I agree. we're, we're going to move into an ad break here, guys. Um, 
I'm just going to take a little bit of a break and we will be back and we'll be getting into our interview. Well, we're back. Segment number two of uh, an absolutely loaded episode. Definitely my favorite episode yet. Um, you're going to hear from Jason Greeley coming up here pretty soon. Um, but first, I want to get into my, my cold take. So on Twitter, Chuck Johnson, some Twitter handle dude, he goes, said it before, if Vladimir, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s father was a plumber from Poughkeepsie, he wouldn't be a top 10 prospect. Going to see him tomorrow for the first time. We'll see what the eye test shows. See, I'm obviously not going to – I'm not keeping up on on what this eye test ended up showing for him, but I'm hoping it showed that Vladimir Guerrero has some of the best raw power and he's still incredibly young. I think I, – I don't think it's a cold take yet because he, he Vladimir Guerrero hasn't been great in the bigs yet, but there are just some great – there's – like analytically – there's some very promising, promising numbers. I mean, his exit velocity numbers are are off the chart. It, it's insane how hard this guy can hit the ball. I mean, I saw like a video on uh, on like Twitter or something. He absolutely crushed the ball, and it had like a, a weird angle on it. And you could see it gets to you in like a second in left field. I mean, he absolutely crushes the ball. He's a he has a hard hit rate of forty three point six percent. So every time, like forty three point six percent of the times he hits the ball, he Hits it extremely hard. So his exit velocity, it's in the 77th percentile. He absolutely crushes, crushes the baseball. And that's that's undeniable. Now, yes, I know that he's a low ball hitter and, and he struggles a lot with the high pitch, but but why are why are we counting him out yet? Can we all just can we just take a deep breath? Can we, just, can we just take a deep breath? Let's remember. So so like who who says the best player in the league right now? Best player in the league right now, I'm gonna have to stick with Mike Trout. Thank you. So it's a consensus that Mike Trout. It's pretty much a consensus that Mike Trout is is the best player, um, at least top three. And he's the face of baseball right now. Absolutely, insanely large contract, insanely great guy, just a, just really relatable, just a phenom. Absolutely, absolute animal, best player in the league, in my opinion. Do you remember when he came in the league and really couldn't hit the high fastball until 2015? So why are we now counting out Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just because he can't hit high fastball? It's not the easiest pitch to hit. As soon as you get to the bigs, these dudes are pumping shed. They know exactly when to use the fastball, in what moment, where exactly in the upper part of the zone, up and out, up and in. They know exactly what to do and how to exploit his weaknesses. So, yeah, he's going to take some time to adjust. I don't understand why we're counting out this 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 kid. He's He's a kid. He's so young and so talented and his raw power that any the fact that anyone can diss that, I just don't understand it. Guy guy hits on an average 101.9 miles an hour on pitches down, like on in the middle and lower. That's his exit velocity. That's his so exit average, velocity. Average. average on pitches What'd you say in the middle, in the middle and lower. What do you say it was? Almost 102 miles an hour. Oh my gosh. One tick away from 102 Golly. miles an hour. Now, yes, when it's up in the zone, it's more like in the low to mid-70s exit velocity. I get that. But let's just take a deep breath. Although this isn't a cold take yet because I can see I, – I, it's not hard to see that he has struggled. But let's just take a deep breath. He's so young. He has showed so many flashes. All the analytics and the sabermetrics, whatever you like to pay attention to, point to the fact that he has the ability to become a great, great player. Now he does go on to say, "I expect Guerrero to have a long, successful career." Like I get that, but but to just um, to diss him, I don't I don't understand it. Uh, I think that that Vladimir Guerrero is going to be great, and I, I'm excited to see how he progresses as a player. Just the the power is insane, and I think mixed with um, Bo Bichette and, uh, and and Kevin Biggio, he's they're going to create a great trio. I mean, let's just look here, Mike Trout. Mike Trout in the first 40 games of his career hit 220. Aaron Judge, 179. Like, let's, let's, let's all just relax. You don't have to be great immediately. This isn't, this isn't football where they draft you number one overall and they expect you to be great day one. All right, let's just relax. Let's give him some time. He's showing flashes. Let's just, let's just take it easy. Yeah. 
That's a good ice cold take, man. Absolutely. Um, so now this is going to be my favorite part of today's episode. We're going to get, get get you guys into the Jason Grilly interview. Um, yeah. Great interview with him. Great time to sit down. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, here is 26 minutes with grilled cheese, Jason Grilly, and here you go. All right, guys, we're sitting down here with Jason Grilly, right-handed pitcher from – we best know him from the Pittsburgh Pirates being the hometown team here. Uh, great pitcher, great guy in general, and uh, we're so happy we can have some time to sit down here and talk with you. Pleasure having you with us. Yeah, welcome to the, the farm, man. Yeah, yep. Awesome here. It is. Home renovation, home, home building, actually. Home building, yeah, I'm doing uh, some contracting where the hidden talent I didn't know I had. It just yeah. uh, just moving some earth out here and uh, getting it prepared for some good uh, some good house parties, a lot of concerts <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. that it's a good sweet. venue. 16 Acres is a good venue. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. You love to see it. All right, you got a question for us, Tim? You want to start us off? Yeah, so uh, in, that, in, that, in that wild card game, it seems like there was a bit of a rivalry between uh, the Reds and, and you guys. 28 people in the regular season were hit by pitch in, the, in your meetings together. Did that kind of feed into that, um, like the whole the whole uh, atmosphere almost? It seemed like it was – Well, I think, you know, you know we, yeah, I mean, they're in our division. So, you know, you yeah. have to sit there and go, obviously, the two best teams in our division squared off, uh, vying to continue on the playoffs. So, you know, when you when – you, you know, we were kind of a scrappy team where we weren't putting up 10, 12 runs a game. Uh, so every every base runner mattered and, uh, you know, every out mattered. So it was just, I think when you when you have that head-to-head matchup, I think we were evenly matched pretty much. So that's what probably fed into it. And, you know, that's the unwritten rules of baseball. You take <laughs> you take out one of ours, we're going to take out one yeah, of yours, yeah. you know. So, yeah, that was, that was something that our – starting pitchers had to deal with it. if if relief pitching you know has to establish the inside part of the plate yeah. that late in the game uh, we're in trouble but that's that's what the starters were were asked to do and you know they picked on McCutcheon our guy our star <laughs> guy we, we had to defend him and anybody else for that matter but uh it's just part of the respect and uh having each other's back you know you play we played for each other and that's why we were successful that year I mean I know you guys said you guys all kind of came together and played for the city and just the whole entire town against the Reds, basically. So they had, you know, the the team, the 40 men, but also about 40,000 plus in the stands. Heck yeah. The blackout, man, on the bridge. The Clemente Bridge was covered with people. It was a party. It was a party that they were not welcome to. (laughs) (laughs) That rotunda was filled with people, too. This place was packed. Not not a single seat. Available in the place. A lot of adrenaline. A lot of adrenaline from the fans eating their what? nachos and beer. And just, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think even watching the replay, they played it recently here during the, the pandemic. They they did a whole thing in the paper and on the radio and on television. Um, they replayed the game, and and it was fun for me to watch it with my oldest son, who was three at the time. My younger son was just a thought at that that time, but you know. Watching again with my son, it kind of was cool to see how, what, what memories triggered with him and to go through it again. And I was actually nervous. I already know the results. <laughs> yeah. I got caught up in all the emotion. Like you said, we're talking about all that emotion uh, of the game. Reliving it is um, just as maybe even worse because you're just like, oh, what did I do? How was I thinking? And, you know, it, it's, it's no different than listening to your your, your voice message. Uh, yeah. Uh, when you sit there and you go, no, oh, did I sound good? And when you're watching it out yourself on video, it's kind of even the same same type of feeling. So it was fun to relive it. Um, always is. Uh, like I said, I wish we could have gone a little bit further. I'm still – now I'm a fan just as much uh, as everybody else, and, uh, and I keep wishing that there would be a turnaround here at some point, you know. Yeah. Um, I keep knocking on that door that, they, that I'm living right up the street here from, <laughs> from PNC Park, one of my favorite ballparks. I say, hey, if I can't do it in cleats anymore – I told Nutting and everybody in front of us, I said, let me do it in pleats. I'll help you kind yeah. of bridge the gap between knowing what it's like with boots on the ground to, you know, trying to, trying to help out in the front office to put things together and change that 1979. I'll, I'll, I'll have tears just as much as everybody else to see that that, that happen hopefully one day. Yeah. The Cubbies did it, man. I yeah. think that, you know, I've waited that long. We're, we're, we're ahead we're of the game. Longer, yeah. I mean, we're not, not, not that We're long. ahead of the game. <laughs> 
I, I got just have to ask you this: what's it, what was it like in that atmosphere, knowing that situation, and knowing that you know you're probably going to come into close, right? And then you have the, the intro videos playing for you. You got your song. You're you're running from the bullpen. But what's the feeling like Jay going Bruce through your and body? Todd Frazier up like the two people yeah. you're facing first. I mean, they're obviously big power hitters. So. Yeah, uh, I had adrenaline going. Um, surely didn't want to screw it up. I'm glad I didn't. Um, but no, I felt like I could have lifted a, a semi truck over my head. Just like, like again, riding the wave of of emotion with just the whole city behind me. I just felt like this is our moment, and nothing but success was going to happen. And you know, no matter what I felt like I flipped up there, I felt like we were going to win no matter what, just because. So yeah, it was a it was an amazing moment. Uh, such an honor and humble experience to be the the guy out there. Uh, with my teammates making that last out and uh, being able to celebrate something that erased, you know, what, what people, uh, a lot of pain that people felt yeah, over here, you know, longer than even you guys are. <laughs> I know. Uh, so you, you ended up settling down here, obviously, you know, here at the, uh, the farm. The Did you say that this is like your uh, favorite place to play? Was Pittsburgh? Was that- Pittsburgh and Toronto. I grew up a Blue Jays fan. My father's career uh, wound up and took us to Syracuse, New York, when they were the AAA affiliate. My dad bounced around towards the end of his career um, in the Blue Jays organization. So my dad was a Sam Malone. In the cheers, uh, he opened up a bar, a change of pace up in Syracuse, a few miles up the road from the AAA park. So I got to see all these guys coming up uh, that were coming from the minor leagues to the, to the big leagues. And, and the, biggest, the closest ballpark to me was, you know, Toronto. Yeah, so my Rogers dad took me up there. Yeah, the Rogers Center. And um, so I used to go up there and root for those guys. So, yeah, between Toronto and Pittsburgh, they were two, my two favorites, no doubt, uh, organizations to play for. Yeah, That's awesome. And I got to join Russell Martin and a couple other of my teammates yeah, in Toronto. Right. So that was kind of a reunion. And I knew he had something to do with me getting traded there because I was with Atlanta at the time. And we had a terrible, terrible April um, in 2016 before I got traded. We won like five games and – in April, and I was like, this is going to be the longest season ever, and I was closing. I'm like, I'm not going to get many chances to even pitch, you yeah. know. Um, so so it's a struggle, and we were on pace to win 30 games that year <laughs> after a solid April. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, fortunately, the baseball gods and maybe Russ Martin had a lot to do with me uh, reuniting with him. Now so you ended up getting the playoffs with the Blue Jays that year. Yes. Right? Yeah, yes. you know, like what? Three and two thirds. I think only one hit in the playoffs. That's that's oh, man. pretty awesome. In yeah. the atmosphere up there, I mean, we saw the whole thing with Bautista in fifteen. Oh, no, but I wasn't. Oh, with no, them. no, yeah. yeah. But then but the year after, atmosphere. that was still, yeah, that was still, still kind of all rolling. trending. The, the the place you couldn't the hear. Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, it was so loud in there when the, when it's packed house, and good things were happening. Toronto was a really fun place to play. Yeah. yeah. Now, you said that uh, Russell Martin may have had something to do with getting you to Toronto. I believe so. I mean, they probably asked, you know, him being the catcher and the leader on the squad and has caught me before. They needed somebody in the bullpen, and um, he knew what I was capable of. Asuna was there, young young guy at the time, was an awesome closer. Um, but, and he just needed somebody to, to set up. And, uh, yeah, you know, um, there's a couple guys that were struggling, and I was hot. I was excited to come in there and – Mm-hmm. Did my thing. That's you know? awesome. So, do you think that Clint Hurdle could have had anything to do with you getting to Pittsburgh from oh, 100%, from Colorado? Hundred percent. In my book, I tell the whole story too. I'll uh, I'll explain a little oh, bit yeah. about that story. Yeah, what's the title of that book? Just my out. game. I have a few copies laying around. You can read read that on there. Yeah. Good toilet bowl reading, as they say. <laughs> it's actually my journal. I never really um, tended to write a book. I just kept after my injury. Uh, prior to coming to the Pirates, and, and to answer your question, how I got here, Clint Hurdle did have a lot to do with it because I was with him in Colorado, and I got traded from Detroit to the Rockies. As I bounced around, uh, I got all these jerseys I've collected. Um, so I was with the Rockies, and he asked me then on two hours of sleep after I got traded, I got settled there playing the Dodgers, and he said to me in my you know introduction meeting with him on the field. We were, they were taking BP as, as I showed up, I hurried up, got ready. I wanted to meet some of my teammates, kind of get in the flow of, um, you know, just getting game ready. Didn't know if I was going to pitch. And I did that night, but he asked me one of the last questions he asked me, he's like, Hey man, what do you want? You know, out of your career? And I was like, you're going to ask me that right now on two hours sleep. It's a loaded question to have over BP and stuff's going on. But I said, well, since you asked, had this sense that, you know, I want to be in the back end of a bullpen because I said, I know I'm capable because of my inherited runners. I, I was uh, 
tops in the league doing that with the Tigers at 75%. Um, you know, when you're a middle reliever, screw your ERA because you come in and get an intentional walk and then they yep. bring you in and your runs on base and sometimes you score without getting out and to the detriment to your ERA. But I said, you know, I'm getting out of jams with the heart of the order in the middle of the game uh, 75% of the time and it's 60% clip is doing your job and I'm doing it, you know, 15% above that. So I said, I can't imagine what I could do with a clean inning. If I'm doing that, I said, you know, obviously waves have to part guys have big contracts at the back end of the bullpen and more experience. I said, but I hope one day I get that chance. So just, you know, as, as the future had it, I came here, I called hurdle uh, when I was with the Phillies and I said, Hey man, I'm opting out of my contract, even though it says in my transaction rap sheet, that they released me, I actually released the Phillies because I took my out of my contract. I told them, I said, I'm done if you don't call me up. I was having a good year in AAA there. I said, I've already got a AAA championship ring with the Tigers. I'm not here to do that. I want to win one in the big leagues. Um, so I took my out, um, came here. The Pirates called after an outing. They came, uh, sent a scout, Mark Del Piano, who's a good friend and uh, big-time scout now with the Yankees, but he was here responsible for putting that 2013 team together, put some of those pieces uh, together. So I want to give him some props, but um, yeah, he was a reason why he came to see me in Syracuse. I got the call after the rec second part of the road trip. We went to Pawtucket and uh, I got my release granted and like Gary Sheffield called and said, Hey man, the pirates want you. I said, yeah. I said, my bags are packed. I said, I just <laughs> take my glove and my cleats and we'll go. Yeah. So I came here, you know, I was a sixth, seventh inning guy in 2011 when things started changing and uh, just kept, you know, adding to, I was setting up for Joel Hanrahan. Oh, Joel Hanrahan. Yeah. Hammer time. Hammer time. Did he kind of, well? yeah, kind of help you out a little bit? Um, Cause obviously like, it's like, you, you had the experience. That wasn't an issue, yeah. but you know, Maybe being in that role, well, he always high kid. pressure. He kind of did, did he tease you a little bit, or he always, yeah, he kidded me. He was uh, making seven mil at the time. I think I was making a <laughs> milli, and uh, you know, as a setup guy, what people don't know is that you face the heart of the order mm-hmm. 95 percent of the time. Yeah. So there's your all stars on every team. You're facing yeah. the eighth inning. So I yeah. said the setup, the setup guy doesn't get enough props. <laughs> the, the closer gets to go to the all star game. I said I had a one seven facing the heart of the order. The all stars of the league. I said he goes. He goes, every time he's like, man, you make my job so much easier. I said, don't forget to pad my envelope then at Christmas time. You know what I mean? You're making yeah. the big bucks. But, no, we had a good relationship, and uh, Joel was a great closer and, um, you know, had good stuff. Unfortunately, his arm kind of failed him towards the end of his career. And Yeah, once he got traded. I once he got traded to Boston. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, he's had some success and, you know, was was successful in his own right. But, yeah, we like I said, we, we built on pieces and – Again, the way Pittsburgh does it, Melanson pushed me out and Watson. So, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate that all – if you look back at the Charlie Morton, the Garrett Coles, all these guys that are here, that come through here, this is like – we call it kind of a, a 4A team because yeah. Yeah. it's a 4A organization. Because I go, you got all the parts and pieces coming through here, but they're, they're too afraid to keep that all together and pay the money that guys mm-hmm. are granted and let us play the game that we play. And – you know, winning could happen here. So it's not like it won't ever happen. It's just a why isn't it happening? And it's, there's, there's. Oh, that's a, that's a loaded so question. It is well, a loaded question. We have a whole other show that, on that. that, that yeah. That's a whole other interview, man. <laughs> so in, in 2013, obviously, you had huge success with 25 out of 25 to start the year on saves, which is crazy. That's and incredible. Headed to the DL, but you ended up getting one. It was 30 some, 35 saves. 33, 33 saves. saves. Yeah, yeah. 54 games. Me and Melanza were. were everyday eddies we were every other yeah. day i mean so like i said our workload was heavy we we defended um our bullpen i think we were like said we've 60 some odd one run leads yeah you know and and like i said when you take a 162 game season if you say 500 100 games right of the 162 you're gonna say if we can get 500 out of those 100 and what do you do with those other 62 games that's the difference of whether you go to the playoffs or not. So when yeah. I sit there and say, were, were we an integral part of how good was our bullpen? I looked at it and I said to those guys, I go, guys, our job is to hold the lead for these 62 games. Absolutely. Oh, isn't that funny that those, that number was how many one-run leads we defended. That's so awesome. we did our part. Yeah. We did what was asked of us. I said, the, oh, the, the sure. club, the starters, the lineup, they're going to win 50 of those games. What are we going to do with those other 62? That's on us. And I think, I mean, getting you know, out to that hot mm-hmm. start in April, you had a point. 
0.82 ERA and 10 out of 10 on saves in April. And yeah. that, that was huge getting off to a big start. But then July, you were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, it was how really nice. how awesome was that? That, Is that was not nice. like a dream come uh, true. It was, yeah. um, you know, that whole just just the, that whole year um, was it was a dream. You know, what I mean, getting the All Star team, and then my dad. I remember going to the ATM and going to New York. We were in New York City. Um, we were at we were at the Mets ballpark for the All Star game. And I came out, and there was all—it was like being in a boy band. It was like all these people with their <laughs> magazines want me to sign. I was like, "Holy crap!" Dude. I said, "We got to find a back door. I, yeah. I just got to go get some money out of the ATM." <laughs> you know, he was like, he was loving it because he's—he's from you know Long Island and, and was raised in New York City. So to him to go by all the newsstands and see his son on the cover was pretty crazy, you know. Right. So uh, I know what it feels like to be like the swimsuit models, you know, and yeah, gawk at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the cover, but. No, definitely a thrill, and that year, uh, one of the greatest weeks of my life, like I said, start with the, the blackout game. Sean Casey, good friend of mine, helped me get to the Pro Jam show mm-hmm. when they opened up their tour. Yeah. So it was amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing time being a pirate, man. I got great yeah. memories. Now, you talk about your dad there, and we saw a story that, um, you know, after you got selected to the All-Star game, you were in Wrigley Field at the time, yeah. and you and your dad went out and played catch in center field and shared a moment out there. You so tell us about a that? dreams moment, for sure. Yes. You know, there's many That's catches incredible. that we had, but that was probably by far. I get the chills every time I recall that. And, and uh, you know, God love my dad. He's 71 years old right now. We still try to find just, just to toss that ball yeah. around, you know. Yeah. And, and out here, it's kind of apropos to be on a farm. It's very American uh, to have a catch with my dad and, you know, now with my two boys too, it's breaking uh, the new ground. Pretty fun, but yeah, that was a special moment, especially at Wrigley Field. That is awesome, and uh, that was our Field of Dreams so moment. Historic, absolutely. Well, man. Yeah. So going back a little bit, you went to you went to Seton Hall, is that, is that Seton correct? Hall? Yeah, and I'm actually going back to college. I'm getting my really. Degree. Yeah, I got 16 credits. That's, that's awesome. Promised my mom I would. <laughs> you know, she was a teacher, and uh, you know, I left I left college with 40 credits as after I got drafted my junior year. So my major really was. Baseball. baseball. My minor was business marketing in case it didn't work out. <laughs> That's why I tell everyone. Yeah. Like, they don't believe it. They're like, no, what's, what's the major? And you're like, no, no, no. Like, if you're a Division one athlete, your major is your sport. I don't have time to party. You pick your spots. You hopefully get a few yeah. college nights out to yeah. feel like a, a college student. But when you're a student athlete, you guys know it's, it's dedication and to get to the next level, man. Um, it takes a lot. So, yeah, I'm going back to Seton Hall University. Thank, thankfully, Unthankfully for the COVID nineteen, you know, everything's online, so it's kind of helped my cause in order to do that because they yeah, weren't offering that to, to me. So now I'd like to get my sixteen credits. I'm able to do that. You know, that is that, sweet. That's, that's awesome. awesome. So you're talking about the uh, getting to the next level. How? What was that like moment where you're like, oh god, like I'm like, well, I mean, even if you're in the mind of you're like, oh god, like this is real. Like, oh I gotta, yeah, I gotta and that go now. Yeah, it's between the levels. Yeah, no. Um, so you know, I was, I was selected fourth in the country. And I just followed Matt Morris. We had to like go back to Seton Hall. I mean, the lineup of Craig Biggio and Mo Vaughn and John Valentin. There's a there's a long all star lineup of guys that went to Seton Hall. Absolutely. It was a, not a rock throw away. Close. I could have gone farther away, but I wanted my parents to see me play. And New York City was kind of had something to do. We were close yeah. an hour mm-hmm. away from New York City. So we used to go in there when we found up enough cash. But Matt Morris was really a a good. Uh, tutor to me. I saw him. He was a junior when I was a freshman. And I saw what he was doing. I just said, I make the footprints, man. I'm just going to step in the ones <laughs> you're doing. And, you know, he was good to me. So I'm very thankful and grateful for his, his guidance and leadership there. Um, Cause it, I think it helped me along the way too. But um, yeah, I, I, I lost my train of thought where we were going, what the question was. The, the difference between. Oh, the difference, yeah. So, you know, I was 20 years old. Uh, they stuck me. In the Hawaiian League, which was like all the top A-ball prospects going to Double A, I did well there, um, which was tough, you know, to pitch in Hawaii for three months. It was tough. Oh, brutal. You know? tough yeah, it was brutal. It was so bad. Oh, God. <laughs> Quite then, fun, though. Yeah, it was great. It was so great. I had a, had a blast. And then that following uh, full season, I started in Double A in Shreveport, Louisiana, with the Giants. And there was a trade that happened, Joe Carter trade. Um. And so I, I was in AAA in my first year. That's when I really was like, oh, my God, because there was guys, you know, pinging back and forth between the big leagues. And you got to have your breaking ball going. You know, oh, at yeah. that time, it was one of those things where I was trying to make sure I could control that because guys were parking balls. And then that PCL, boy, that ball flies. 
So having a rocking a 70 RA and at 20 years old, you're like, <laughs> I got a lot to learn. Yeah. Before I get the triple A is really the hardest level because it's the pressure of like one, one injury away or pitching really well. And you're in the big leagues, you know? So, um, yeah, I bounced around. I had, that's when I had some, some, some injuries to my elbow, a couple of surgeries, uh, on my elbow and kind of hit me. And then I bounced around and, had to re, re, reprogram myself and refine refine myself. So, uh, but definitely AAA to me and any guy will tell you AAA is a tough level. Yeah. Uh, uh, just just a couple like couple more questions here for you. I just, thank you again for the time. But uh, the Pirates' current situation, do you like do you like to hire? Um, I don't know if you know Derek Shelton at all, or if you've, so, uh, yeah. if you met him at all. But yeah, uh, so a good guy, man. I think he's going to be perfect for that that club. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see too how the shortened season. Uh, it's a sprint right now, yeah, you so never know. You never know. You get hot. You get hot for two, three weeks, and we'll see where we land. And maybe the maybe we change it. Oh yeah, something yeah. good for us here. We'll be uh, you guys will be interviewing some of these other guys yeah. uh, up and coming. All right. Good I just really hope the parts uh, don't use this as a kind of an evaluation year for right. for him because it's just so crazy. So hopefully, we can go out and try to get something here this year because that would be. Yeah, uh, huge for huge, huge for the town, honestly. And with the sixty-game season, I know the Pirates usually have that tendency after the All Star break to drop a few. Um, we they don't only, have that luxury now. <laughs> right? yeah. So I mean, we if we can get hot in the beginning, uh, who's to say? You know, you know? It, it, we're we're talking we're talking Pirates baseball. So I mean, if, if we're still if that still heartbeat is still going here, yeah. that's what I love about this place. It's yeah. uh, the city is for, so forgiving, so passionate. And they want it so bad. It, it doesn't matter. Like I said, blue collar. There's, there's guys here doing some stuff behind the background here as we're doing this interview. People work hard here. And the, and the hope and the drive is is awesome. And I know a lot of guys want to come and play here. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of can the, can the organization pull together and merge together to see that, hey, man, we're, we're, we're on the cusp of, of doing something great. But they got to want to do it too, you know. The players right. definitely want to win. I know that the coaches want to win. I know the fans want to win. Uh, I think that's always the coin toss is the front office on the same page, you know, mm-hmm. of making money. Or to me, it's it's a it's a common sense thing, right? If you're winning, you're going to make money. Yeah. You bring the people out. You sell more merchandise. Sell more hot dogs and beer. Absolutely. I think, like, come on now, what's the what's the problem there? <laughs> yeah. You know, bring them in. I'm no big businessman. Splurge a little, yeah. You know, so uh, I got kind of a fun question here. So you get to the All Star Game, Prince Fielder. I got to triple. He gets a triple off you. Were you? Was it almost like funny at that point? I mean, you know, it's one of those things. It, it's funny because you know you go back and you, you find parallels. I had to draw back my first hit. It was my first All Star appearance, right? My first uh, pro game because even though I got drafted in '97, the Giants didn't let me pitch in A ball because I signed late. Yeah. So my first real minor league inning was in the Hawaiian league. My first hitter, I gave up a triple <laughs> and I said, he ain't scoring. He ain't scoring. I'm not giving up a run. My first professional inning. So my first appearance, I'm like, remember when you were sitting, you know, I thought that I was like, you gave up a triple and Carlos Gomez made a great effort. And I know Prince was, was huffing and puffing. So I was like, well, he's, he may not score here cause he's a little tired. Okay. I just drew on that. It's like, I didn't want to give up a run. Uh, especially after Mariano tipped his cap, he was warming up in the bullpen. He gave me a, a whole cool conversation and one on one. It was uh, it was a thrill. He was just like, man, he's like, what you did was cool. So that meant a lot. You know, there were so many there were so many cool moments that weekend. It was like it was surreal. You know what I mean? It was yeah. really a surreal yeah. moment. But uh, yeah, he didn't score. So luckily, that is I good. Did my job. Kind of laugh that. about it now that he didn't score. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got this final question before we wrap things up here. Um, so if you had to say, like, if there was one player or really one coach that, you know, gave you the best advice for how to handle the league, not just, you know, the game, but also the grind that comes with it, the 162-game season, yeah. who would you say that, that guy, even lady was, who, uh, you know, tried to help and push you there? You know, one of my favorite, he wasn't actually my coach, he was more of a roving instructor, but Ray Burris, okay. uh, he pitched for the Expos uh, mainly. He was in the Tigers organization, and, and uh, there's many many teammates too. You sit there and say coaches. There's a lot of teammates, uh, veteran guys that pull you under the wing. Todd Jones um, and Jeff Jones, who was our pitching coach in Detroit, um, 
Gary Sheffield, my agent, you know, from a hitter standpoint, you know, I joined as many conversations as I could. You got to talk the game. And, and I think that's, again, another element that might be lost in the game because of these dumb cell phones. And as <laughs> I got older and I was turned into the veteran at 40 years old, I saw everybody sitting at the locker on their cell phones. It drove me nuts because I'm just like, you know, where the good old days where, you know, I talked to my dad and the guys would sit in the clubhouse, have beers and sit around and talk the game, you know. If you struck out, listen to Gary Sheffield, he's like, that was the worst thing coming up. He said, you didn't want to strike out. Just go back in the dugout. It was like an embarrassment. You just you had to put the ball in play. Mm-hmm. So now to see that 40% of the game that we're watching is strikeouts, walks, and, and homers. Yeah. That's 40% of our game. So, you know, playing baseball is definitely taken on. It's more become a power game. And we're watching first quarter NFL scores on the scoreboard instead of <laughs> the two-to-one and four-to-three ball games. And I'm, you know, those one-run games that everybody gets excited about. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just it's just different conversations. Still, the game is, is wonderful. Uh, it's the best game. It's the best sport. And I you know, enjoy watching them. I'm enjoying coaching my sons. And uh, I'm trying to, trying to impart whatever knowledge I can. And all the stuff I forgot, I have to relearn, you know, before I yell at an umpire what, <laughs> what I might have forgotten about right, yeah. the game and the right. new rules here. Right, like you said, with your book, next chapter, next chapter of life keeps moving on. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot more to do, man. A lot more to play with, and uh, I've got my nice farm, and you know, keep you busy here, keeping you busy. Thanks for having me a guest on your show, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. You're an idol in this town. I know. I know for us, and I'm sure a lot of us. A lot of kids our age out there, so that's awesome. Thank you so much. I love it. Well, good luck with your show. I think you guys will be successful, and. uh, Keep it rocking, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Anytime. Just wow. That guy. How was that interview? You like it? I, it was the best, like, hour of my life sitting down talking to him. Just being able to pick his brain. I mean, you, you got to understand when we were the, uh, the Pirates made that nice run in the playoffs. Well, you know, beat, won the wild card game, went to game five in the NLDS against the Cardinals. I was like 12, 13 years old, and the Pirates were like everything. To see them be good, to see them be good again and be able to get into the playoffs and just have that energy, it was insane for me. And, and I looked up to every player on that team like an idol. And so to be able to sit down, talk to him, and just he's such a nice guy, very relatable, just a great guy. Mm-hmm. And to, to hear some of his story and and uh, be able to check out his book, it, it was awesome. Some of the things you guys missed was – you know, showing up there and talking to him for the first little bit. And even after the episode, after the interview, we were able to, you know, just pick his brain a little more. And uh, what, what some good news is we're going to be able to have him back on for you guys. There's so much more that this guy has to say and so much more that this guy has to talk about. And a lot of things we want to ask him still. So um, he he should definitely be another guy that we're getting back on. And he has a book. It's called Just My Game by Jason Grilly. Um, you can get it on Amazon, you know, order it, ship it right to your house. Yep. Great book. It's his, uh, kind of his, his journal that he kept and it, it's a great, it's a great read. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, just, I mean, he was an absolute, absolute warrior his whole, his whole career. Um, I mean, you got, you got people on yeah. here promoting the book. You got Sean Casey, uh, you got Chris Berman. You got Aaron Andrews. I mean, and you got some big names here. And Eddie, Eddie Vedder said Jason Greeley is the nicest badass I've ever met, and I think that's the probably truest statement ever. After uh, meeting him and being able to sit down and talk with him, he's just a great, great guy, and we're so thankful we had the time to uh, sit and talk with him. Absolutely, he's a great guy. Um, couldn't be luckier to go over to his property and uh, check it out. Be able to talk to him, like I said, for a while, just pick his brain, just talk to him. He's just, Felt like I was back in 12 years old again. Yeah, and felt like a little fanboy. was awesome. It was it was fantastic. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We will be back on Monday and uh, definitely going to have an episode for you. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, we'll see you then. Yep. Thank you very much.